Hello and welcome back to a full court episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your Cinemechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana, and today we'll be reviewing 2008's Semi-Pro. But before we do, let's go and check in on the shop. Dude, what the fuck is this? What do you mean? I told you you need to chill your shit on the softball league. Man, come on. That dude was being an asshole. You know I'm not going to disagree with you on this one, but you can't say that kind of shit because, for one, it just got the Hollywood Choppies kicked out of the league. Uh, what? Yeah, this letter, which is from the league and quite lengthy, if I'm honest, um, outlines the whole thing. Here's a few of the highlights. Quote-unquote, Travis called the umpire an F piece of donkey S. When the bystander attempted to calm the situation, Travis referred to her as a nosy B who needs to worry more about the smell coming between her legs or go find a D to S. Oh, yeah. I mean, hearing it read back, that's... It's not a fine sour, but dude, I heat a competition. You know how it can be. I, I had a few drinks during the game. It just got out of control. You're the manager of a goddamn adult t-ball league. Where, why are you drinking? Uh, I mean, there's nothing in the rule book that says you can't coach drunk. Yes, there is. Look, look, all right. I'll, I'll give Pat a call down at the league office. The hell I'll you will. Explain. You've done enough already. I'll give him a call and ask for a second chance, and you will be nowhere near the softball field. But first, let's go ahead and review Semi-Pro. An NBA merger is imminent as the collapse of the American Basketball Association unfolds in the 70s. As part of the negotiations, the top four ABA teams will be absorbed into the NBA, with the remaining owners seeing a substantial payday. This sits well with everybody but Jackie Moon, the pregame announcer, owner, coach, pop singing sensation power forward of the Flint, Michigan Tropics, whose dreams of being in the NBA feel less likely than a full cart basket for $10,000. Can Jackie and the Tropics climb from last place to achieve their ambitions, or is the whole team a little moonstruck? All right, Travis, give me your diagnostic. What, what, what were your thoughts of Simi Pro? Uh, you know, sometimes just for my own amusement and hopefully yours and the listeners, I'd like to be a little coy at the beginning, try to kind of just speak generally. I'm not going to do that. I fucking hate this movie. Um, <laughs> I, I, I know you're not supposed to come with the lead that quickly, but I just I'm not going to be able to hide it. I have very few things uh, to say in the positive realm about this movie. Uh, I have some theories on why it is what it is, but I think we can get into that later. Uh, what did you think? Uh, so I had seen this movie before and, you know, we decided this was going to be like the, the professional trilogy. So we're doing semi-pro, Leon, the professional, and then following it up with the professionals. Um, and you came in, you know, as we were doing it, you suggested semi-pro and it's like, oh, I've seen semi-pro. Like, yeah, we can, we can review that. Um, I now remember why I didn't remember anything about semi-pro when we went into it. Uh, to this point, Travis, I saw this movie in 2008 when it came out. And I literally forgot that Woody Harrelson and Andre 3000 were in this movie. And they're two of the three main characters. So if that kind of gives a brief synopsis as to what I thought about this movie, um, it is insanely forgettable. Yeah, insanely forgettable. And uh, I hate when people uh, talk about broad comedy in a negative way. Like, oh, it's it's too broad as if, you know, broad comedy is beneath them. But I'm going to absolutely be that guy today because to call this movie broad is um, quite the understatement. I mean, you, you've got a scene with a, a, a fucking live bear all just so you can play one little comedy bit. So it's just random vignettes like that throughout the whole movie. And I mean, to put it another way about how bad this movie must have been, uh, the bear featured in this movie on his next project, he killed his handler. Mm -hmm. um, so he was probably d that disgusted by working on this movie. I, I'm not going to say <laughs> that played a part, but I'm not saying it didn't play a part. Um, so it's interesting you bring up the bear because my overall synopsis of this movie was it felt like 
a last ditch effort to squeeze as much out of that era of Will Ferrell as possible. Because to me, it's like, okay, this was the last of he was doing, you know, I think this is the fourth or fifth of his sports parody movies with Talladega Nights probably being the highlight which I thought was his first, but it was actually, I would have called that his second. The first one was actually Kicking and Screaming, where he plays like a little kid's soccer coach. Um, I think that kind of like ushered in this Will Ferrell sports parody era. Um, but it's it's the tail end of that. This is the final movie he said he's going to do with sports parody. And not only that, with it being set in the 70s, I feel like so much of it is leaning off of trying to do a Talladega Nights uh, Ron Burgundy Anchorman mashup is essentially like that is the what they how they pitched this movie when they tried to make it like we're going to do Talladega Nights meets some shitty basketball movie um, meets Anchorman um, right down to the point where I was, the whole reason I brought this up was the bear he fights a bear in Anchorman and again this is one of those things where I'm like oh they just brought back the idea of Will Ferrell fighting a fucking bear like this whole movie feels like it is just I don't want to go so far as to say a soulless cash grab, but basically kind of a soulless cash cash grab as far as I'm concerned. Like, it's it's not really funny. I rewatched the trailer before we started recording, and they pretty much anything that you wanted to call funny in the movie, I think pretty much appeared in that trailer. Um, there were only... There was only one scene I could remember out of the whole movie, and we'll get into into a minute. And there's only one scene I actually might have enjoyed in the movie. Other than that, I th I thought it was it was pretty trite. I thought it was generic. I thought it was very much a sign of the times, and kind of like it was a summary of a lot of what was going on in the the, the comedy world at that time, or at least comedic movies. And just I think it was in it was the last of kind of a transition out of all of that shit. Well, I'm glad you brought up um, this kind of being a mashup of Anchorman and Talladega Nights because it it inadvertently you've stumbled upon the exact thought I have of this movie and why it's so bad is because both of those movies you mentioned are directed by Adam McKay. This movie, I had never heard of the director. I've got more on him in Time Capsule. But <laughs> um, the thing about it is even, even Adam McKay, as much as I love him, it seems like now he's doing more serious, quote-unquote, serious Oscar bait-style movies. I'm thinking of Vice with Christian Bale and, and The Big Short. Um, it feels like Adam McKay and Will Ferrell really need each other. Like I don't mm -hmm. enjoy them apart nearly as much as when they collaborate um so i because I, I think mckay and i'm just speculating here i'm thinking maybe mckay knows when to rein things in as ridiculous as that sounds talking about talladega nights and anchorman like this movie semi-pro it i felt fatigue just the sheer amount of trying to get little banter and jokes and like little set pieces like it was just fatiguing me like I was too tired to even laugh at the stuff that was slightly humorous whereas Anchorman and Talladega Nights uh, it, it the comedy felt effortless and, and this movie is the complete opposite so I think their dynamic working together is, is what makes them both great in a lot of ways well and I also think the structure of those movies is different because Anchorman and Talladega Nights it's Will Ferrell playing Will Ferrell you know that that typical when you think of Will Ferrell that's the role he does but He's the main character, and I think this movie, I would be interested to see how this movie was written, because to me, Will Ferrell is a side character they put the spotlight on. Because really, to me, the only person who has any kind of, the growth in the, the real story surrounds more to me about Monix, who's Woody Harrelson's character, and then Black Coffee, who is Andre 3000's character. I'm like, that's where the movie really should have focused and centered on. And like, they bring them up and you kind of, you watch Woody Harrelson's character more than anything kind of grow and why he's in the town and all that. But I'm like, the movie felt like that's where it started. And then it's like, either, hey, we got Will Ferrell, so we have to kind of inject Will Ferrell into this movie. Or at a certain point, while they were trying to write the story of Jackie Moon, they realized that Monix was more interesting. So then they, they tried to kind of shoehorn that in. It's like it winds up being a story where like you have three main characters and none of them get enough time to really care about any of them. And it's just like it's very interesting. To, I would love to know kind of again how this movie how this movie came to be. Yeah, I mean, and down to the director, because, again, it, it almost feels like. I don't know. You said this came at kind of the tail end of his, his sports movie run, Will Ferrell's. It feels like all the ideas that they didn't use for better movies kind of just made it into this movie. 
Well, it's even like you said, like, and this is pure speculation, but it'd be interesting if like, oh, look at this cast you have. It's Will Ferrell. Everyone loves his sports parody movies. So this is, you know, some low hanging fruit, like as a director, like you'll be able to have a win under your belt. Like this is, you know, you're going to make tons of money no matter what you do with this, because people love Will Ferrell. Look at all, you know, his catalog of all the movies people are coming in. And then you've got, you know, Andre 3000. This is right about the time where I think he was he was starting to try and be a little bit more of a of an actor i think he had been on the wire since about 2004 to 2008 and then in addition to that he had done four brothers i think around 2004 with Wahlberg um and tyrese and i think this is like you've got andre 3000 as he's starting to come up and grow and then not only that you have kind of woody harrelson as this veteran actor you know this well-known actor to kind of anchor the whole thing as well so i i feel like it was one of those like not you know pun intended it was it was meant to be a slam dunk for the director and it, I think it just fell short. And it was an air ball. Yeah, and yeah. it was an air ball. <laughs> um, like I said, I don't have much to compliment this movie on. Is there anything that you did appreciate about it? So there, the only scene, and I don't know why this scene is the only one that I remembered from this movie from 2008, was the scene with Tim Meadows. I did not remember the yeah. gun. So essentially, you know, for the audience to set up the scene, it's uh, it's Will Ferrell, it's Jackie Moon, and a bunch of his buddies playing poker in his basement. Tim Meadows is there as like he isn't introduced in the movie. He never comes back up, which I'll tack or I'll talk about a little bit too. But like, it's basically them all playing poker. They're all like shooting the shit and making fun of each other. Tim Meadows' character, um, SNL alum, I'm sure that's you know. I will say this as a side note here. Everyone loves to give Adam Sandler shit for all the, like he always brings his, put his friends and his movies and shit like that to give them an easy payday. He's not the only one who does it. Cause like Will felt like there were plenty of cameos in this movie where it's like, Oh, Tim Meadows probably needed some money or something like that. So he got a small role, but not saying it's a good or a bad thing. Just, I don't know why we give, you know, Adam Sandler so much shit about it. Um, but, um, so Tim Meadows, he winds up calling Will Arnett's character a jive Turkey. He pulled Will Arnett's character pulls out a gun, pretends like he's going to shoot him. And then they all laugh about, oh, my God, the gun's not even loaded. So then they, of course, start clicking, you know, pulling the trigger. Anybody who watches movies knows that there's going to wind up being a fucking bullet and a misfire. Um, they wind up throwing the gun down. The bullet ricochets off and winds up like everyone thinks that they're. Oh, I forget to mention Tim Meadows is for whatever reason, his arm is in a cast, you know, and um Everyone thinks that they were they got away unscathed, and all of a sudden you realize that Tim Meadows has been shot, and he starts, you know, he goes, I did get shot, and that's the end of the scene. It's a weird shot, too, the way that they zoom in on kind of Meadows in his face, but ultimately, the only thing I remembered about this movie, that's the whole scene that breaks down. The only thing I remembered was that Tim Meadows had a scene in this movie. I didn't even remember the gun or him having a broken arm or anything. I just remembered, oh, Tim Meadows had a scene in this movie. Um, but the reason I bring that up, too, is like, he, the whole conversation he has with Jackie is about like, oh, he's going to come back and save the team. He's going to make a three-pointer. And then Jackie's like, no, you can't play ball. You suck and all that. You're, um, you know, you broke your arm playing basketball in the driveway with me, blah, blah, blah. I was expecting that to pay off. And almost like a a Space Jam, the original good one, Space Jam reference for like maybe Bill Murray, like when he shows up and helps the team win. Like I expected Tim Meadows' character to wind up having to be on the court and making the game-winning three throw or something like, or, you know, three-pointer or something like that, where it's like, oh, he comes back and he actually was talented or they actually did have to lean on him. No, Tim Meadows is literally just in a random fucking scene that has no payoff whatsoever. Well, you could, I know we, we're going to discuss taglines later, but a tagline for this movie could very well be and tim meadows character is wearing uh his arms in a cast for reasons like <laughs> nothing about this movie feels intentional everything is just about making the individual scene you're watching funny and i know we, we talk about connective tissue on a lot of our reviews i don't expect this movie to have deep storylines to any anything to that stretch but when it's just disconnected skit after just disconnected skit, and I mean the Tim Meadows scene, I'm not going to bang on this stuff too much because number one, like you said, the movie's from 2008; it's depicting the 70s. But it's funny that the, just the casual racism and sexism in this movie. Even I like dark comedy, but if it's not funny, then a lot of these jokes 
are just come off as purely sexist or purely racist. Like even the like I don't even understand the jive turkey. That's unacceptable. But you can call him a cocksucker. I'm just like none mm-hmm. of this is funny. And like you said, the gun part I guess could be funny, but you've seen it done a million times. So as soon as the gun comes out you you know exactly what the bit's gonna be and that just feels like that's this movie over and over again yeah it's it's used parts the whole movie is used parts um so and i don't even mean leftovers like you know oh this could i mean literally it is used parts as in like it has been used somewhere else and now they're shoehorning it into this movie um and again the callback to me like the everybody love everybody i thought that it gets referenced multiple times through the movie for no real apparent reason the other thing that I thought was weird about the movie is, so Monix winds up, Woody Harrelson's character, the reason he comes, he wants to get traded to Flint, Michigan, is because I guess the girl of his dreams lives in Flint, Michigan, all right? Um, so, you know, this is he's, he's chasing her. His NBA career is pretty much done. Um, so he's got his, his championship ring, which, you know, he begrudgingly, he doesn't feel he deserves, but he goes back to get the girl who he wronged. Um, I... St- for the longest time could not figure out that so she's the the girlfriend is living with another man and i could not figure out is that supposed to be her brother her boyfriend her husband i honestly i don't know if there was a throwaway line i missed i don't know at the end of the movie what he was supposed to be i assume he was supposed to be a uh what's the word i want to look for a dependent brother we'll say that um there's a scene where like Woody Harrelson convinces him to go get him some kind of like ointment or tiger bomb or some Ben Gay for him. And then he immediately goes to fuck the the chick. And then he walks in and decides he's going to watch them having sex and masturbate. And I'm just like, it's such a weird, awkward scene. And I'm like, this isn't funny. This is just weird. And even Woody Harrelson's character stops and just is like, this is weird. It's wrong. And then walks off. I'm like, they never address what the, the guy is, right? Well, according he's listed as the boyfriend. Okay, so he is Wiki. supposed to be like, and that was the thing I was on. Like, I understand. He, oh, that's the favorite player, but like, at no point like the morality of the whole thing. Like, Wardy Harrelson. Like, I'm like, I was like, is this supposed to be a cuck joke or is this like supposed to be like, is it a weird boyfriend? Like, does he get back with it? Like, the whole relationship is fucking weird. Like, and I don't understand why it was written that way either. Yeah, again, especially for a guy that, you know, the boyfriend, Len's boyfriend, who's only going to be in maybe five to ten minutes of the movie. So, like, why go for maximum weirdness? I I guess whoever wrote it thought it was going to be hilarious, but I just hear screeching tires and I'm or a scratching record, and I'm just like, what is this? Well, it also fucks up the character, like, because the whole thing was she left Monix because she caught him cheating on her. But now she's going to cheat on her current boyfriend with Monix. And, like, it just means that there's no there's no moral compass in the movie. And then even Woody Harrelson being angry and be like, no, this isn't right. It's not like he ever tries to make that up. He still wants to get with the girl. It's not like he's like, you know, I lost my shot or anything. I'm like, so, like, again, it's one of these movies where it's like, I understand if you want to sit there and take a shot at like morality or what is morals, but like, it's not, you're not making that. It's not a conscious decision. It is literally just the, it's a movie without a compass. You know, it's, it's anything goes for, for, you know, if we think we can get a cheap laugh out of it. And I think some people listening right now might say, you know, dude, it's a Will Ferrell comedy. Calm down. Why do you need a moral compass? But like, take something from this era, like wedding crashers. Mm -hmm. It's equally crass at times. But there's a heart at the center of the movie, like characters feel real if, you know, of course, they're exaggerations of reality, but they it feels like this is a world we live in and people learned lessons and this movie complete opposite. So it doesn't have to beat you overhead with a message, but comedy still needs to feel like a part of the same world that you're living in. And this movie just never does. So, Travis, you're trying to say that this movie is just another notch in Will's belt. <laughs> yeah and it's it's it was it was uh it was made by a a coat hanger that was heated up with a blowtorch so it's not exactly precise either um so yeah i mean i to your point was there a whole lot in the movie that i liked no i will say i do love when you like the one the other scene that i i did kind of enjoy 
was uh, when they're fighting on the basketball court. Like, they, they go to a commercial break so that they can all fight, and then, you know, they put wars, why can't we be friends while everyone's fighting. I love a juxtaposition like that. At the same time, Lethal Weapon kind of already did it, so it's like, and they did it better in their end credits. So <laughs> it's like, that wasn't right. new to me. So I was like, but I, you know, I did enjoy that. Like, it did give me a smile. I'm like, oh, I do love hearing, you know, why can't we be friends while they're just beating the absolute hell out of each other? But, you know, again, at the end of the day, like, I just none of it felt that funny like it just it i understand it's a it's a comedy and like there might have been a few smiles and stuff like that but i just yeah at the end of the day and the other note i had here is like it's it's an r-rated movie um because at one point andre 3000 early on said something like fuck and i'm like oh well i guess that was the one fuck that they're getting in this movie and then it went across it, it continued to, to swear and i'm like oh this is an r-rated movie i'm like why i'm like there's nothing about this movie that needed to be R-rated. Like, I feel like it could have been, it could have made more money if you just went the PG-13. I, I don't, under, there's nothing in it that makes me understand why this was an R-rated movie. That You know? I, I honestly did not realize it was R-rated. I mean, I guess I subconsciously heard them saying, fuck, I just don't care about cussing, but none of the other content felt R-rated at all. So yeah, that is a bit strange. Um, oh, the, so... I think most of the times I actually did laugh in this movie, a lot of it was the the sports commentators and not just the sports commentators. Like, I like Will Nar Arnett and all that, but Andrew Daly as Dick Pepperfield was probably my highlight of this movie. Um, just his very, like, you know, straightforward, like, you know, his delivery of his lines, like the part where Will Ferrell gets angry and kicks a basketball into the stand and you just hear, you know, Dick Pepperfield go, oh, and one lucky fan is going home with the basketball tonight. <laughs> and I'm like, those were the only times that like the, the sports commentary was probably the only time I actually really enjoyed it. And even Dick Pepperfield and uh, Will Arnett, I forget, uh, Lou Redwood. That was probably the only dynamics of the movie I actually really enjoyed. So I, like I said, if, if I'm going to give a highlight I, to the movie, it's it's going to be the two commentators. I, I will agree. I, I did jot down a couple of their uh, lines as well, but I loved when uh, uh, Lou's smoking a cigarette there commentating the game and, and Pepperfield's like, yeah, you know, I don't I don't think you could smoke in here. And he's like, oh, I like to smoke when I drink and then just takes a, a big <laughs> sip of his whiskey. And then um, at some point he's complimenting uh, Lou Redwood's complimenting Jackie Moon, basically saying he's the best thing to happen to Michigan and Dick. <laughs> Pepperfield, which is that deadpan delivery. It's like, oh, you know, maybe Henry Ford, but, you know, Jackie Moon's probably second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that is, you know, to, to try and put some some highlight on this, I, I will say, like, and that's the thing is, like, I would watch a movie that is just about those sports commentators. Like, to me, that would have been a more interesting movie. And I don't know how you would structure where it's just a movie about those two. But to me, they were more interesting characters and their delivery and and their dynamic was far more entertaining than than anything else. Um in, in the well, movie. I, you know, I will say just a recommendation for you personally, uh, if you like that dynamic and you wonder what it would look like if they were the main characters, there's a show called uh, Brockmire starring Hank Azaria. Mm -hmm. uh, have you heard of it? No. Uh, he's a he's a, a baseball announcer with a drinking problem. Um <laughs> It's a, it's a dark comedy. So, yeah, I, I would say check that out at some point if you're interested in this. But you know what? Even as we complement that dynamic, I mean, we've already seen that dynamic in Dodgeball, you know. So it's like, yeah. again, used parts. Now, the used part in this case works. But again, it's something that we just saw a couple of years ago with Dodgeball or a few yep, years exactly. earlier. Um, so, yeah, that's, I mean, my my overall synopsis and then, you know, my final notes here. I where ultimately, you know, Monix talks about how terrible his life was. I'm like, your life didn't seem like they didn't do a good job of establishing he came up from like a shitty childhood or anything like that. It's like all of your terribleness was pretty much self-imposed. Um, I was really worried when when they went at the end and you see the cop car being flipped. I'm like, oh, no. And then when it wound up being the cops flipping the car, I'm like, OK, thank God. I was, <laughs> I was like, I hope that that's not where they're going with this. Um, yeah. And then just ultimately the, the movie wraps up in about 30 seconds, like all three main characters get their payoff in maybe the last three minutes of the movie. And then the movie just kind of ends. And I'm like, wow, they just they put a pretty little bow on that very quickly. And then the movie was done. Yeah, and, and at that point, I considered it a mercy kill. I, I was grateful that they did that for me. Uh, uh, all right. Well, it sounds like, did you have anything else you wanted to bring up about the movie before we really, 
you know. No, and you've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but a sure sign of a great movie, or at least one that me and Brett really loved, is we'll have a ton to talk about on the front end and not much on like Chop Shop. If we really did not like a movie or just thought it was boring, uh, we're going to have more in the Chop Shop part. So I know the conversation was brief. Uh, again, I just don't have anything to say, but I think we'll come through on some Chop Shops. Yeah, it's a... Yeah, it, at the end of the day, it is, you know, if, if you loved the movie, good for you, like no insult to you. It's just I thought it was fairly generic for the times. It was used parts um, from from other movies where they cherry picked what they thought was was going to be good. And then I thought that, I think they just thought that Will Ferrell being Will Ferrell was going to carry the movie. Uh, and it just ultimately it fell flat for me. Yeah. And, you know, that. Uh... You say no disrespect to people who love this movie. I, I, I will disrespect you. If you love this movie, <laughs> I don't respect you because there are way better Will Ferrell movies that do uh, the same thing. So I would insult someone who felt that way. I just don't think there's actually that many people who do. So, But fuck you if you do. Yeah, it doesn't. It does not have a stellar rating on the IMDb. Higher Which than I, I thought it'd be. We will cover later as well, right? Yeah. Or, or Rotten Tomatoes, at least. Yeah, that that that'll be in the wrap up. But uh, yeah. So, all right. So, Travis, do you? This is the part of the show where we're going to do Chop Shop. So in our new format, you know, we uh, off camera figured out, you know, spun the wheel of destiny, uh, took comedy out of the running because obviously it's already a comedy. I pulled blockbuster. You pulled, I believe, horror. Correct. Correct. All right. Do you want to start us off or do you want me to start off how we would how we would take semi pro and change it into uh, said genres? Um, I'll start it off. And much like this movie, um, I kind of really worked hard on the front end and lost steam at the end. So maybe you can <laughs> help fill in the gaps at the end. But right. uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little bit lengthy, so, so buckle in, all right? All right. All right. So the, we're going to open the movie, uh, and it's going to be like not quite Model T cars, but close to it, a li little bit more recent. And, and they're, they're racing down a highway in the mid-afternoon. You know, one's passing the other, then the other passes the other. And uh, we're filmed out. We're, we're seeing this from outside the car. So we don't see drivers. We'll have a couple of shots of maybe the camera chasing the cars as they try to overtake one another. Uh, maybe some drone shots just showing the winding road from a distance. And, uh, would these uh, be period drones? <laughs> Listen, Brett, all right. <laughs> Goddamn you, Brett. Okay, anyway. Period drone. Yeah, it's a hot air balloon, actually. How about that? It's a fucking hot air balloon, Brad. We're filming from a hot air balloon. So we then get to a, a, a tight shot of one of the driver's or hands on the wheels, and, and, and you can tell they're gripping it tight. It's white knuckle. And uh, the two cars, they're coming to a very sharp curve, and then one car pulls out to pass, so they're going uh, too wide through the, the turn for your racing fans there. So it's a sharp blind turn as they come around we have this shot from behind the two cars and an 18 wheelers coming the other way and we cut right before impact so the two cars are going to have a head-on collision with a big big truck and then we go to the open credits now the movie is pretty much going to be the same as it is now up until the introduction of Mannix so Mannix is introduced to the team he's kind of got the same backstory you know played for the Boston Celtics, but he doesn't have like the developed characters, like a love interest, uh, like he does in this movie. And he's a little more mysterious. Maybe he's a little bit, he seems dangerous, maybe nutty, kind okay. of Martin Riggs, maybe even a little darker. Maybe that's why the Celtics the traded him. He actually is like skilled, but they, they had to get rid of him because he had locker room problems. Yeah. There's just something about his aura that seems off. So, but on the court, Mannix is dominant. He develops a great chemistry on the court with his teammates, especially the big center. Uh, we didn't mention him in the review. I believe his name is uh, Vakitis. Uh, I believe um, you're right. Yeah, so I hope I'm right. 
But just know Vakitas, anytime I refer to him, that's the big seven-footer in this movie. So, you know, Mannix is throwing him tons of alley-oops. We've got, the, like, the winning montage, you know, of how successful they're being now that Mannix is here. So, you know, they're on, like, a 10-game win streak. And then after a game, you know, the Tropics are boarding their team bus to go home. And we're riding along with the team. And, and Jackie, as the bus is driving, he's standing at the front, kind of giving a big celebration speech about the team's winning streak. And the shot's going to be from the back of the bus looking up front, uh, kind of like a, one of those elevated horror kind of shots where it lingers so long, you just know something's about to happen. Mm-hmm. So... You know, Jackie's maximum ridiculous. So the bus driver, he's a little bit distracted by Jackie and he's trying to kind of join in on the fun. You know, he's turning it around. Ha ha ha. And then we'll check the road. So after several beats on this this shot, we cut to, to coffee. Uh, Andre 3000's character and a tight shot of his face. And he looks horrified, whatever. He's looking out the front window of the bus and he just screams, look out. And the bus driver turns around in time to see a hooded figure standing in the middle of the road. The bus swerves to avoid the figure, but crashes down an embankment. Several players are injured. So Mannix and Vakitas offer to go find help while the rest of the team stays with the injured players, trying to make sure everybody's okay. So we cut to Mannix and Vakitas walking along the highway. Uh, like I said, it's dark out. Uh, they come upon a wood large a large wooden privacy fence and it's separating the highway from like a neighborhood. And they, they decide they're going to climb it so they can go find a door to knock on and ask for help. So Fakitas being the big seven footer, he lets Mannix climb up onto his shoulders uh, to get to the top of the fence. And mm-hmm. as Mannix is trying to pull himself up, he hears Fakitas scream and, and the camera's tight on Mannix's face. So we don't know what's going on. But suddenly, Vakitas is no longer beneath Mannix. So Mannix doesn't have anything to stand on. So he's like barely hanging on to the top of the fence, tries to climb up, loses his grip, falls to the ground. And when he lands, Vakitas is lying on the ground. He's bleeding from multiple stab wounds. And Mannix looks around for the perpetrator, but he sees only a hooded figure fleeing the area. Vakitas coughs up blood and struggles to say, we must, we must lose and then vaquitas dies so then we're going to cut to a cemetery near dusk and uh, vaquitas's funeral has just ended a few hours ago and the cemetery staff are loading chairs onto a flatbed truck the last of the cleanup jackie clarence and that's again that's coffee jackie coffee monix mannix lou lou redwood and bobby d they're all standing around their parked cars they're sharing vaquitas stories and, and drinking And one by one, the guys clear out, just leaving Jackie and Bobby D. Jackie's lamenting the death of Vakitas, talking about he he was just coming to his own as a man and a player. Bobby D asks Jackie if he thinks the team can still make the NBA without their starting center. Jackie starts to cry, and he tells Bobby D, I can't even think about that right now, Bobby. There's a seven-foot hole in my heart. (laughs) So following Vakitas' death, the city of Flint bands together to buy the team a new bus. Uh, you know, they kind of rally the community in, in honor of Vakitas. And Bobby D at first refuses. He says, no, we can't accept that. It would violate the ABA rules. But the ABA, they allow it. They know it would be bad optics not to let the team have a new bus. So a uh, few weeks go by. Bobby D arrives at the Tropics practice just as it's concluded. He's got a large bank bag full of cash. And Bobby D asks the players if any of them want to join him in bus shopping and B.B. Ellis, the point guard of the Tropics, and Jackie agree. But, but Monix, no, he's like, hey, we've got more, we got to get more practice in because they're coming up on the big Spurs game. Uh, so Jackie agrees to stay, but tells B.B. to go because B.B.'s still a little bit injured from the bus crash, so he's not practicing anyway. So Bobby D. takes B.B., and uh, they're driving in, in his car, and the sun is setting, and they pull up to a large metal gate. It's padlocked and closed, and they they park in front, and BB's like, "Hey, why why are we bus shopping in the middle of the night?" And Bobby D's like, "Hey, hey, uh, the owner, he's a friend of mine." And he, he flashes a key, and Bobby D unlocks the gate, and they enter. And it, this is a big, gigantic lot, just full of buses. But at some point, the two get separated, and BB he gets concerned. The sun, it's dark, sun's down, rows and rows of buses. He yells out for Bobby D when suddenly he hears a scream from Bobby D. It sounds like he's being attacked. BB starts to run to his aid and then stops and whispers to himself, fuck this. 
and he decides he's just going to fucking get the hell out of there. Whatever happened to Bobby D, it's not his fucking problem. So BB realizes he's lost. He can't find an exit. He stumbles across an office. The office door is unlocked, and he goes in there, and the owner of the, the bus place, and he had a, his, his face was huge on a billboard coming in. So BB knows what the owner looks like. BB's looking through. He finds a, a, a door in the office, and he opens it. It's a closet, and the owner's dead body falls out. And BB My screams, God. and he turns around, and there's Bobby D. Bobby D says, oh, BB, you weren't supposed to see that. So Bobby D is the is the hooded figure, Brett. Now, now this is where we're going to have to land the plane, so I'll open it up for suggestions. But my thought is, remember I told you, Mannix acted a little bit weird, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't know what to make of him. It turns out, Brett, this is just kind of a backdoor pilot to Lost. So you had those two characters in Lost, the man in black and the other guy and Jacob. You know, they had their conflict. The, the cars racing at the beginning were these these two guys who died in that accident, and they're doomed for eternity to compete with each other. And they have pos- one has possessed Monix and one has possessed Bobby D. Bobby D is doing everything he can to make sure that the team doesn't get promoted. That's why he caused the bus crash. That's why he killed Vakitas. That's why he tried to refuse the additional money. And that's why at the cemetery he was just all he cared about was: Do you think we'll still make the NBA now that uh, Vakitas is dead? And Monix, he's possessed by the spirit. And that's why the team's been having so much success. His goal in this particular instance of their competition is to get the tropics to the NBA. How all that would possibly be revealed, I have no fucking idea. But that's what was going on the whole time. I did not see that as the twist coming. Um, I like the idea that they are essentially like a positive and negative spirit constantly competing and i don't know if it's for the souls because that's a that's the part where i'm thinking like it wouldn't be the souls because at no point like winning the basketball game wouldn't do anything i don't know if it is just like a a wager between the two as to what they can and can't succeed with and like is there a certain level of 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 rules like i guess at the end of the movie See, that's what i was yeah, that's what i was thinking yeah like maybe as soon as whatever competition they've deemed for this particular moment when it whenever it's decided they then go to new bodies they possess new bodies i even want that was my thought i want some kind of ridiculous reveal and it doesn't have to be comedy level but like basically like it's revealed what happens like so you're gonna have bobby d there monix is gonna be there and um you know bb is there and that's gonna be kind of like the big reveal to him he realizes what's going on um BB winds up surviving, gets away because Monix intervenes and all that. And BB tells the rest of the team, they figure out what's going on. They still have to continue to try and beat the the basketball game. But now that, you know, the, you know, the, the cat's out of the bag, Bobby D can't have as much influence, right? Like he's lost his ability to secretly like, uh, influence if they're going to win or not, or get into the NBA. I want it like at a certain point, like they're getting ready to lose or something like that. Or like, you know, they've got Bobby D tie, tied up and the, to the spirit. And they're like, what, what was this all for? And it winds up being some ridiculous reveal. Like who, like whoever loses has to decide like what they're having for dinner or like has to decide like, you know, they're, they're basically where, what city they go to next or something like that, where it winds up being just something so inconsequential, but yet, you know, Bobby D is willing to, to sacrifice people for, for his cause. And then at a certain point, Monix is still considered the, the more positive of the two spirits, but like he knew what Bobby D was up to, but still like did little to influence it. So like, they both look like guilty parties for something completely, completely ridiculous. Yeah, just almost like the, you know, kind of gods manipulating the lives of normal people for little to no reason, just because they can. Yeah, when they've lived for that long that you start to devalue like human life, like maybe at one point they were human. But like at this point, like they've seen so many people come and go, even for natural reasons that like they just they they have no value of human life. And it just it winds up being like this weird, weird situation. 
Yeah, and you know, now that I think about it, I I originally thought, you know, the two guys in the Model Ts would be the original people that were alive, but I kind of like what you're suggesting where we could open it and it could be a chariot race. Like they could have been doing this since like Roman times and now they just happen to be in Flint, Michigan in the 70s. So, mm. yeah, I, I like that. Fuck, you could have a montage if you wanted and have them doing a bunch of ridiculous weird shit for the beginning of the movie. Yeah. See, the only reason I didn't want to do a montage is I just want the mysteriousness of what does this opening scene have to do with anything else, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that that was my my effort at horror uh, to, you know, shoot it like an elevated horror movie, almost like a like a hereditary. Um, yeah. And then have the reveal be, yeah, this is kind of like an ancient gods kind of thing. So, yeah, that was my idea. All right. I could dig it. I can dig it. Uh, so I had Blockbuster, and I had to be careful because I feel like a Blockbuster sports movie can very quickly start to teeter towards Oscar bait, you know? Um, so I, I tried to be a little little conscious of that. Maybe I was successful, maybe I was not. But here's my shot. Here's my pitch for a Blockbuster version of Semi-Pro. Now, as we've already discussed, this movie already feels like a, a soulless hodgepodge cash grab of talent, right? So I figured I'll probably right. stick very much with that theme of the movie um, and, and making this. So I figure maybe we would replace Will Ferrell with, with another actor to play the coach. Or, you know, I, I don't think we have to basically make the Will Ferrell character everything, but we, we in in Monix, I don't think is is the appropriate character for the coach. So I'm thinking we replace all of that with with, a, with another another great actor who played a coach, and that would be another than Sandra Bullock. Um, when did again, she play a coach? Right, she wasn't a coach. Okay, okay, so maybe we'll go with Samuel L. Jackson. Um, okay. So Samuel Jackson, and if he's not your fancy, maybe we'll just we'll just stick with Denzel Washington. You know, maybe some Remember the Titans. All right. So uh, he's he's got the 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 stat. Uh, so we we kind of take him out. So that, you know, he's not as obnoxious, right? Because Will, he's, he, he starts to, to kind of be very obnoxious throughout the movie, right? He needs to be a blockbuster, not a ridiculous comedy. So if, you know, maybe we'll keep him in the movie. He'll have a cameo. He can still, you know, be like, you know, almost like an Eastbound and Down or even like a Wedding Crashers where he'll, he'll appear. He'll still be like the crazy owner, but like he's not commanding the movie. He's just in there for a quick laugh or, you know, to, to kind of uh, help with some pacing. So uh, he'll be like the eccentric owner, won't have more than maybe two scenes in the movie, but that's about it. Um, maybe, you know, at some point he just, he, you know, whenever he's on scene, he keeps bringing up how he wants to, to retire somewhere foreign like Naples or something like that, right? Um, so Monix won't be the coach, but what we'll see is a lot more of him and Coffee Black's dynamic, right? It'll be like a classic, the captain versus the person that, who's got a lot of skill who you know who can command the team versus the star player so you know monix winds up being this veteran player he's this captain he's trying to lead the team to victory but you've got coffee black who's a hot dog but you know he's 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 got all the talent in the world but he needs to be reined in um thinking maybe again just because you know we're trying to make this this weird hodgepodge of of weird reused parts i want to replace andre 3000 and not because i didn't like him because i do love me some andre 3000 but i'm thinking let's go ahead and put in wesley snipes you know let's bring it back to a little white men can't jump um i mean even though wesley snipes when this movie was made was like 49 years old that adds to the the, the comedy of it all right you know, okay, I'm, okay. I'm not, I don't want to okay. take all of the comedy out, but like for some reason, yes, it's maybe we'll have to use some because Woody Harrelson had to be that age, too. So that's, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so, oh, you weren't convinced by that hair he had? <laughs> OK, so we're going to follow the story of Coffee. Think that Monix is washed up, right? You know, he was in the NBA. Now he's in the ABA. Granted, at this point, these weren't semi. This wasn't a minor league team or anything like that. These were competing, you know, leagues. But, you know, ultimately, he was a champion in the, the NBA. Why is he over here in the ABA? So we'll reveal that Monix did come back for the girl still. She's not going to have a weird boyfriend because that was just fucking weird and that won't help my blockbuster movie. But 
it won't he won't have lost her because he cheated but he's gonna wind up being like a hothead he's got some anger issues and it got the best of him and they, they split up you know so it's not a trust issue um but it allows to show that monix has grown as a character he's not as angry and rebellious he's kind of you know he's he's tamed himself a little bit and now he's somebody worthy of having companionship when monix you know we're at you know in all of these movies we're gonna have to have the scene where uh you know coffee black winds up you know losing the game because he wouldn't pass or something like that to somebody who was open so monix is gonna accuse coffee of only being it in and for himself and Coffee is going to throw it right back at him. And he says he doesn't care about the team. He doesn't care about the game or anything else except for getting his girl back. And this is the moment in the movie where suddenly our two characters realize that they're cut from the same cloth. They have the same, you know, they're, 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 their motivations are the same. And now they're on level ground, right? And they can build themselves up together, right? As all good sports blockbuster movies do. Again, uh, yeah, think, I was think back to remember the, time. remember the time. Remember the time. Remember the time. Left side. Uh, did you know that Ryan fucking Reynolds was in Remember the Titans? Ryan Reynolds? Are you talking about Ryan Gosling? Yes, what I meant was Ryan Gosling. You know, a Canadian Ryan was in there. Um, I didn't realize he played the uh, surfer dude. Um, but yeah, side the side thing. So the movie. No, he does not. He does not. Brad, he doesn't play the surfer dude. He's, he's not Sunshine. Sunshine is Kit Pardue. Who does... Ryan Gosling is one of the racist Gary Batir Oh, friends. shit. That makes me even sadder. I just assumed he was the the surfer dude. Well, no, no. that's sad. Never mind. Let's get back to the drop shot. So the movie <laughs> will peak at the third act. I brought it up. It's my fault. We'll uh, peak at the third act, you know, towards the end of... I meant to say second act. Why am I saying third? Um, well, I'm thinking... It's at the, yeah, the end of the second act. Coffee is still going to get traded away and kind of a money ball situation. All right. At this point, like we're trying, they've, they've got to make some trades so that they can, they can win. They can get fourth place because they still need to get fourth place to be absorbed into the NBA. So coffee is going to get traded away. You know, Monix is going to feel, is, is going to be a little hurt because they've grown, Monix and coffee have grown to be best friends. But Monix also knows that this is what's best for coffee if he's going to, you know, pursue his career in the in the nba um so you know maybe we'll have this is going to be where you know will ferrell can come back in and, and be weird i'm thinking like he's the one doing all these crazy wheeling and dealing trying to get the thing in because you know our coaches wouldn't be doing that i'm thinking we even throw brad pitt in here in a cameo just in case the audience doesn't get it and we really just need to beat them over the head with what we're doing here again used parts <laughs> Um, so it gets to the final showdown. Coffee gets traded away. It's the final showdown between Monix and Coffee, but as equals with mutual respect for one another, right? You know, maybe, you know, Coffee wouldn't wind up being the captain of the team he's traded to. That would be too ridiculous. But, you know, the Tropics, they wind up losing, but it's okay because Monix was only there to get the girl and retire. So he still retires with the respect of the team because he was able to raise them up. He gets the girl. Coffee is able to follow his dreams in the NBA. And the coach, again, Monix, was able, you know, to get the whole team kind of out of the hole. Like, he gets to to basically show that he's he's got the skills it takes, you know. Uh, coach will wind up, uh, will, will wind up getting offered to uh, another team. Maybe at some point in the movie, he's going to talk about, like, when he was a kid watching, you know, the, the, the basketball players or, you know, some, some hometown team or a team he always wanted to play for. He's going to wind up getting recruited as an assistant coach for there. Maybe he can make his way up or something like that. But he's going to get his, you know, his in the end. And then, uh, you know, the movie kind of cuts. We never really find out about Will Ferrell, though. You know, the owner. The team lost. Will Ferrell is going to get that fat paycheck in a mid-credits scene, all right? And it's going to show him in Naples, Florida, where he's starting a minor league <gasps> baseball team. Because <laughs> <laughs> you got it for a blockbuster, yeah. I, oh, God. I, I love the mid-credits because it's a blockbuster <laughs> setting up the next film in the franchise. That's a beautiful little flourish. Uh, so that was that was me turning <laughs> turning Simi Bro into a, uh, a a blockbuster. And you know what? I, I mean, this is a compliment and it's not going to come off as one. But you you did a great job of a blockbuster because it just sounds so goddamn vanilla. <laughs> 
Right. But I mean, as, that's, a, as that's, a blockbuster that's, that's has to blockbuster. be. <laughs> yeah, you got to make sure you're checking all the boxes for everyone. So, because like midway through, I'm like, God damn, Brett, this sounds kind of fucking just by the numbers. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, 95% of blockbusters are. <laughs> yeah, see, I just, and it's not that far off from what we got with the comedy, only a little bit better. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, and man, though, to eat. Again, the mid-credit. I'm so jealous of that. That was well done. That was well played. <laughs> and again, he's, he wants to go somewhere foreign like Naples. And it's like, now it's just a comedic callback there. Because it is, well, what's more foreign to Michigan than Florida? So, um, so. Now, does the, 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 the Naples team, do, do we have a name for them yet? I want, I thought about it and I was trying to make like, would it be the Naples, Florida, like, you know, pastafarians or something like that, or something absolutely stupid. But I, I did not come up with a name. I, I tried to, and just I wound up, I wound up calling it after. Then I was gonna try and make a volcano reference, but then I realized that was Pompeii and not Naples. So I was like, ah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna leave this one alone. I just, I love the universe that you're creating, though, because at some point. Will Ferrell can show up at the end of a, an unrelated movie or so you think and say something like, Have, can I tell you about the Naples initiative? Oh, maybe be like the Naples, Florida meatballs because you got the you know there baseballs you and yeah, the meatballs. And now we're trying to make some kind of weird Italy reference. So, yeah, maybe it'll be the Naples, Florida meatballs. Yeah. So you can show up at the end of like wedding crashers and be like, hey, can I can I tell you about the, the Naples meatballs initiative? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I dig it. I dig it. So yeah, he starts. He, he's in other movies. So now we're making a universe where he's assembling different like coaches and players and stuff like that, so that we can have like a, an Avengers moment where it's it's the baseball team. <laughs> he goes back and gets Brett, the coach. It, it could tie into Space Jam. It could tie into Space Jam. He's assembling a team to to defeat some sort of alien invader. Hmm. <laughs> I like it. That's a that's a nice again. That's a nice addition that I was I wasn't even thinking about making a universe with this. I mean, Fred, you, you can't make a blockbuster without an eye on you know the sequel and the trilogy and the eighth installment. Come on. Yeah. All righty. So with that, let's jump into our next segment. Good old blue book. All right, Travis. So the sticker value of this movie. It was $55 million. So that's what it cost to make this movie. What do you think it earned? I know it was a flop. Oh, you know um, it was a flop? I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I, I just... It, it, something in the zeitgeist, it felt like this was not a successful movie. It was a... Like you said, it, you saw it, you forgot about it. So... I know to be a considered a hit, you have to make three times your budget. Uh, so while I think this flopped, it still had the Will Ferrell name. It still had Andre 3000. So I, I can't think that it was terrible. I'm going to say it made its money back, but just barely. So I'm going to say it made, you said it cost 55? And 55 mil. I'll say it made 61. All right. Now, is that domestic or worldwide? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say worldwide. Okay, because it was neither. Um, gross domestic was thirty three million, and gross oh. worldwide was forty four. So even oh. with the entire world, this didn't even make its money back. Jesus, yeah, no, that's a tremendous flop. Yeah. Like, yeah, I thought worldwide would push it over to technically make more than it cost, but I mean, ew, okay. And uh, so, yeah, now I am curious. Was this his last sports movie? It absolutely was. And I don't know if he it, said this before or after filming it, but he did say this would be his last, like, sports uh, parody movie. I just don't know at what point was it in production. Did Will Ferrell make it and realize, oh, God, this is used parts. I'm done. <laughs> like, I'm not doing another one of these. Like, we've run we've run this dry. Yeah, I, I, I'm certainly glad that he stopped because, yeah, this is... Uh... Yeah, not not the swan song he was probably hoping for. No, no, I, w I would imagine not. So, um, all right. So we'll jump into a little tag and title if you're ready. Yes, sir. All right. So I'm going to give Travis three taglines. One is the 
one is an official tagline for the movie. I'm not going to say, you know, which one. This one had a couple taglines. One is the official tagline for the movie. One is a tagline for a movie I found adjacent to this movie. And then one is the tagline that I made. All right. Tell me when you are ready for your taglines. Hit me. All right. Your first tagline is, one man could lead this team to glory. That man was busy. Your next tagline is, full court, half-baked. And your last tagline was, the greatest fro on earth. All right, I was just jotting them down. Um... I feel like I, I feel like I have this nailed. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna say the one you created is full court half baked. Okay. And I'm gonna say greatest fro on earth is the actual tagline because it's the worst of the three. And I'm gonna say one man could lead this team to glory and that man was busy. I'm gonna say that's from a movie that is adjacent. I have no idea what it is, but I'm curious if I've seen it. So that's, that's my final answer for the three. So you nailed all three, uh, full court yes. half baked was, was the, what I wrote the greatest fro on or, or we'll do it. We'll do it in other words. So one man could lead this team to glory. That man was busy was from kicking and screaming, which was, Will Ferrell's, I should have known. was his okay. first sports parody movie. And then, the greatest fro on earth was one of two taglines for this movie. The second being putting the funk into the dunk. Also shitty. Yes. I actually wanted watching the trailer. The trailer has the third tagline that isn't, I guess, official, but it was a semi pro or no, not semi pro. God damn it. A, uh, a semi true story. And I was like, Oh, that actually wasn't bad. Cause some of the events in this movie actually did take place like this. The ABA was absorbed by the NBA and four teams, the four teams that were named in the movie. I forget what it was. It was the Nuggets, the Spurs. I remember the other two, but those four teams were actually absorbed into the NBA with the, with the absorb or um, with the merger. So like there were events that, that actually did take place that, that are based off of a fact. I mean, it is, we'll say this semi pro is as factual as young guns was. So, <laughs> um, but uh, I think that I, I, we can go ahead and do the last thing. Do we recommend this movie? I feel like we pretty much summed it up, honestly, at the beginning of this episode. But I, for myself, would not recommend seeing this movie. I think well, there quickly, are. Well, quickly, quickly, oh, Brad. Oh, 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 quickly. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to pull back the brains. Here we go. I, 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 want, I wanted to discuss the director in the time capsule real quick. Oh, because shit. I think we... it's, a, it's a new segment. I apologize. This is my fault. We have a, a segment. Time capsule. Let's let's do it. I, I apologize. You're right. Do you want me to introduce that as if you didn't just forget about my segment? No, no. You can listen, edit I, it, I or keep. Do you in, want to sound like an asshole in the podcast? No, I, I'll sound like I keep in all of your your uh, stupid comments. So I figure it's only fair that I keep in when I fuck up. So uh, I'll go. I'll keep it in. I'll own my mistake. Uh, well, audience, I hope you like this segment more than Brett does, and, and it'll stick in your <laughs> brains that I do it. But uh, yeah, so Time Capsule, what I'd like to do is take an element of the movie that we're reviewing uh, and look at any piece of it, whether it be an actor, a director, a writer. Hell, it can be a, a, a studio at some point. It can be anything. Um but in this case, I wanted to focus on the director because I was curious. I was like, this can't be an Adam McKay movie because this wasn't very good. And the director is a gentleman by the name of Kent Alterman. Did you look him up at all? Uh, I know that this is the only movie he ever directed. And apparently he kind of was like on a high level and a couple of different production companies. So like Comedy Central, I think. So like he was more of a, a corporate stooge, you know? Yes. Yes. So I. I don't know. This will this will relate, I swear. But have you heard what's going on with uh, the Price is Right and their, their hosts, or excuse me, Jeopardy and their I was, hosts? I was going to say you're talking about Jeopardy. Um, yes, I've heard that there there is some uh, controversy around it. I know that the one of the producers that had been labeled the, to take over as host has now stepped down amid said controversy. 
Right. And a part of the controversy, even before his problematic statements, was, you know, he's a white executive producer who basically picked himself for the hosting job, but pretended like there were a bunch of other candidates. And that guy's name is Mike Richards. And I mean, you can't get much of a plainer name than Mike Richards, unless it's Kent Alterman. And you're right. This is the only movie he ever did. And I did not think of this specifically, but it, it ties in even more to like, hey, I'm an executive producer and I pick myself. The point you made were like, maybe somebody thought this was a layup, a guaranteed success uh, to start your your filmmaking career on. You can you can make a profitable movie and then go off and do maybe something you're more passionate about. Uh, because in 1998, he was an executive producer on Upright Citizens Brigade and Strangers with Candy. Um and it produced a lot of content after that. But yeah, you flash fast forward to 2018. He's the president of Comedy Central, uh, Paramount Network and TV Land. So he is uh, quite high. I believe he actually reports to uh, Bob Backish, who is the president and CEO of Viacom. So he's the guy below the guy at a pretty large company. Um, so it's just interesting that, you know, this movie seems so unoriginal, so uninspired, and it's from a guy who made one movie and this was it. So it, I, I have to wonder if he was ever passionate about directing at all, or if this was just some sort of power play to continue his executive rise. Cause if you told me that's what it was, I would a hundred percent believe you. Well, it's funny looking at his, his background here. So yes. He was an executive producer, did a bunch of stuff, like you were saying, uh, late 90, mid to late 90s, all the way through 2008. Do you want to guess the last project he executive produced? Before directing this movie? I didn't say that. Oh. Uh, I mean, I, I assume the movie he produced had something Will Ferrell related, and that's how this was born. Yeah, yeah, you're on the right track. Uh, the last movie he gonna, executive produced was Semi Pro. Semi Pro. <laughs> so he, oh. he he executive produced his own movie, <laughs> and then I guess when it flopped hard, he was like, "I'm out of the I'm out of the producer game." <laughs> yeah, so I just a corporate shield directing this just feels like so part and parcel for the rest of the movie. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that that was my time capsule for this week. It just interesting little tidbit on the director of this movie. I I don't recall ever seeing that kind of thing before with a movie. So I thought it was interesting. It's almost like I don't know. Maybe he was possessed by a spirit, and there was another <laughs> spirit possessed by a cohort, and they bet <laughs> that he couldn't make a you know commercially successful movie. Um, or something like that. It's almost like something like that happened, you know? And well, then he lost, and as penance, he was never allowed to produce anything again. Yeah, I was going to say, I, you know, whoever was possessing Kent Alterman lost hard. Possessing it, it was them? A, did I say that? Yeah, yeah. I, was, I had water in my mouth. I wasn't going to let that slide, though. You They were, they were possessing them. <laughs> Uh, yes, they were possessing them, and uh, they lost for sure. It was, uh, to use basketball parlance, it was a blowout. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, so uh, you already, it, it's it's painfully clear, I don't recommend this movie. I, w I wouldn't recommend this movie to my worst enemy. Um, again, I, I there's stuff to like. Uh, Will Ferrell can be very funny, but go watch Talladega Nights, or go watch Step Brothers, or go watch really anything else he's done. Andre 3000, he's a fun screen presence. Um, I don't know. He, go watch uh, Be Cool. He's better than that. It's it's more fun than this. In, anything that you would point to in this movie and say that you like it, I'd be like, well, watch this instead. Yeah. So absolute lowest grade I could give a movie. There is nothing this movie does better than any other movie it is trying to emulate. Yes, that's a perfect way to say it. So, and you know what? You know what is funny, Brett? I technically I'm the one that picks semi-pro. I, I put no thought into it. I was just trying to think of a movie that had the word professional or pro in it. But 
if you would have told me before we started this trilogy that uh, uh, the professionals from what, like the 1960s, that I was going to hate a movie in the trilogy more than I hated the old movie, I would have <laughs> bet you anything and I would be flat broke. So the only positive I can take from this is I'm now more excited to watch the professionals in two weeks. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, I feel like if nothing else, this movie set up that you might actually give that movie a chance now. Yeah, I mean, put put that as the tagline. Like, this will make you appreciate other movies. <laughs> this was a sacrificial lamb. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, since we're wrapped up, do you want to tell the folks uh, one more time what we're reviewing next week? Next week, we will be reviewing Leon, the professional, um, which already had, you know, when that movie came out, it had plenty of... Uh, of controversy behind it because of Natalie Portman's character. So I'm looking forward to kind of jumping into that. But before we do, you know what time it is. What, what time is it? Oh, it's time to find out what we're going to have to turn that movie into. So, Oh yes. The wheel of destiny. So we're calling that movie Oscar bait. Um, it was a foreign flick. I think I will say this. I don't know if we can use winning awards as, as um, criteria anymore because Believe it or not, and you're, I'm probably going to destroy something for you. Let me ask you this, Travis. I'm I'm leading the, the witness a little bit here, but what do you feel about the Epsies? The what? The the ER ESPYs. Sorry, not Epsies. The oh. ESPYs. The ESPN <laughs> Awards. How do you feel about the ESPN Awards? Do you respect them at all? Do you think they're a joke? Just no. They're they're dumb as fuck. They're just they're just for promotion. Good, because if if I were to tell you that they gave semi-pro the award for sports movie best sports sports movie in 2008 um i wasn't sure if that was going to hurt you or not so uh, the whole reason i bring that up is again i can't i guess it has to be more oscar or you know um worthy movies when we say oscar bait it can't just be an award because like i said if we were using that criteria then uh yeah semi-pro would have actually been oscar bait but all right so we're taking oscar bait out of the running so that leaves us horror Blockbuster miniseries, comedy, and family-friendly as our remaining categories. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Uh, go ahead. Me? Um, fuck. <laughs> you sure you didn't want the first one? Uh, the, your tone? No, you can keep it. I have to turn the professional into a family-friendly movie. <laughs> Oh, all that killing, I think, might make it difficult. But hey, you're a talented dude, Brett. I got faith. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, okay. So here I have to ask. This hasn't come up before. Audience, you're going to peek behind the curtain. What happens if we get the same thing? Do we have to do different? Different. uh... Well, I think it's convenient. Are you going to say that I got family friendly? I'm just saying the random generator gave you family friendly, too. I mean, there are only five options, Travis. You know, you roll the dice every once in a while. You're going to get a repeat. I can tell you. I don't know. You know what? I I think it might be entertaining to at least try it once. Maybe we'll find out next week that it's a terrible idea and we'll never do it again. But Mm -hmm. I think it could be funny. All right. So we are we both have to turn it into a family friendly movie. We'll see how each of us how each of us approach that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah another element of innovation here at the hollywood chop shop so yeah look forward to that either masterpiece or train wreck next week uh absolutely thank y'all and uh, hopefully we'll see you next week hide your sodas do we love sugar I didn't really, yeah. All right, one more time. Is it contagious? Is it contagious? All right, here we go. (laughs) Yeah, you've infected me. (laughs)